0: I've had the privilege, what I would consider to be the privilege of being in full-time ministry my entire adult life. And um, most, most of the years, it's been a blast, though, um, to be honest, there a number of years that weren't as much fun. And I, I, I made several attempts to uh, jump ship. And um, off, every single time I tried to jump ship, instead of hitting water, I just my feet landed on another ship. Um so I'm starting to, you know, figure it out, you know, like what I'm supposed to be doing. So um I can remember uh shortly after coming to the Lord at the University of Texas. Anyone go to the University of Texas? Awesome. Anybody currently in the the University of Texas? All right. (laughs) Olivia Madeline, great. So I came to the Lord as a freshman at UT. And um, as soon as I started following Jesus as a freshman, I, I, I just fell in love with walking. You know, when I was a sophomore, I fell in love with walking with freshmen and uh, kind of uh, taking what I had learned in my life and helping them in their walk with Jesus and, and, and teaching them how to run, how to, how to seek God, um, seek, seek the kingdom. And... I can remember um, my sophomore year, I was in what's called the PCL. It's the Perry Castaneda Library. I was a sophomore, and um, I was my plan was to, to graduate from college and to become a doctor like my dad. I grew up um, uh, working in, in doctor's offices. And I can remember sitting there at a table um, in the library, and I was starting to think, like, okay, I'm a sophomore. It's, I need to start preparing for the MCAT. MCAT is the exam that you take to, to, to go into medical med school. Well, as I was considering that, I, I, this prayer kind of bubbled out of me that, unbeknownst to me, it, it, it changed the trajectory of my life. And what it was, was just this realization, I was like, God, I think I would be miserable doing anything other than ministry vocational ministry, like full-time. I had no idea what that looked like. I'm still figuring out what does ministry look like, but when that prayer kind of fell out of me, in that moment, I felt like the Lord gave me a thumbs up. That I felt like a smile, as, as if he was saying, you, you figured it out, I mean, or you, you're right on, Clark. Like, I bless this, and so it was, it, there was no lightning in the library. Um, I didn't see anything. You know, I wasn't like transported out of my body. But it was, the experience was enough to change my trajectory that I was like, okay, I'm, I want to do ministry. And so w- what does that mean? So through college, I kept, uh, kept investing in college students. Um, as I, as I uh, graduated, a door opened for me to join the, the college staff and um, continue to, you know, disciple leaders, and it was really exciting. I, was, it's, I, I couldn't have been happier. Um, the summer after I graduated, Chris Paget, where's Chris? All right. Chris Paget and I and a few other friends decided we would go, to it, go spend two months in Indonesia and just kind of hop around um, a few islands and, and on mission, of course. Um, though we had a lot of fun in the process, which you should. Uh, and we, we spent two months in Indonesia, had a great time. I came back, and I remember sitting at a Taco Cabana near the University of Texas. And I was sitting at a table with the college pastor, who was Mark Buckner, and with another guy named Ricardo, who he was a staff member um, uh, with the college ministry as well. And we were just kind of talking about our plans. We were about to have, you know... Uh, you know college students were going to be returning back to austin in droves in a couple of weeks and and it was you know the, the those first couple of weeks uh, are such a make and break time for for college ministries and so we're planning we're talking about the different outreaches and, and things like that and then something happened in that conversation i don't I, I don't know what i can't remember what was said but it was almost like my heart was like a a box that the bottom wasn't really taped very well and so you pick it up and everything in the box just boom to the floor that was what i felt in my heart it was like everything in my heart just boom fell to the floor all of a sudden i felt this just deep sense of dread about the the semester beginning and about college students coming back and about college ministry starting up and that was really confusing because I was excited. This was like my dream come true. I was going to join staff with this college ministry. And, and so I did what I knew to do when those types of things happened. And I just stuffed those feelings deep, deep, <laughs> deep down. You know, they just, they, you do that and they just they work themselves out, right? Well, unfortunately, that time, that's not what happened. I kept feeling a sense of Dread it kept growing and growing and growing, and I just kept ignoring, ignoring, ignoring it until maybe about a week or two later. I was sitting in the the kitchen of Mark and Susan Buckner; those, those are our college pastors, and I just like the geyser blew, and I'm just boohooing like a baby, and I'm crying, and I'm this this deep dread is just coming out, and I in in that experience it. The, the Buckners had some wise counsel for me. They were like, Clark, why don't you just take a sabbatical, take a year off? Don't do ministry. Why don't you come live with us, um, figure out what's going on? So I had no other options. So I was like, this sounds like a great option. I'll come live with you guys. So I did that, and it led to a very difficult season for my life. I think I was maybe 23, 24. But it, you know, opened up Pandora's box of insecurity in my life, this sense of, oh my gosh, this, I thought this is what I wanted to do with my life. This was so fun. It was so exciting. And now it's like, not only is it not exciting, but it feels like death, like doing ministry, doing the thing I've I've been wanting to do, doing the thing that I felt like God gave me the smile and the thumbs up to felt like a deep dread. And I had felt like, Kinda, I had a biology degree, no offense if you have a biology degree, but, but, but I didn't feel like I had many prospects for like, okay, what now am I going to do? I had no idea. I, I, I didn't feel like I had been knocked off course, I felt like I was just knocked clearly off the map. I started asking questions, did I, was that thing in the library, was that just a random feeling that I just misinterpreted um, is God really trustworthy with my heart you know um, I, I went from a place of, of teaching students how to run to a place where I, I didn't even feel like I could tie my own shoes that's how I felt that year um, and it was really really hard I felt like everything I'd been planning for the last few years, it just came crashing down. Now, you know, anytime you, you, you encounter a setback like that, it's, it's, it brings up pain, it's hard, it's painful. But when it comes while you're doing the thing that you thought God was telling you to do, it just adds a whole new level of complexity and pain, right? So I thought maybe I don't hear God like I thought I did. Have you all ever, anyone else ever felt that? Maybe that voice that I've been ascribing to God for all these years is something else. Maybe I don't hear God. So I was, during that season, I was vulnerable to a lot of thoughts and and questions about, you know, just feelings of shame, hopelessness, bitterness, unbelief. And these things began to gather around me like, like, uh, uh, you know, turkey vultures on a scent, right? So there's a pretty good chance that a lot of us in this room have experienced some kind of major setback, okay? I don't care if you're in high school, middle school, if you're in your 60s, 70s, or above. Chances are you have been blindsided before, by events, that even, you know, even sidelined, where you felt that you were knocked completely off the map, not just off course, but off the map. Okay, so if you've been with us this summer, you know that we are in a series called, what's it called? Oh, it's right there. (laughs) Church in the Wild, right? So we've been looking at the study on the book of Acts, and as God's people, we're learning how the Spirit of God works in and through us to advance His kingdom. And the question I have for us this morning is, does this book that we're studying, the book of Acts, does it have anything to say about the times, like I described a few minutes ago, where we are doing all we know to advance God's kingdom, and then we are blindsided out of left field? And we are left on the sidelines. I believe it does. And I believe that there is too much at stake in my life and yours if we don't see what this book is trying to tell us and show us about seasons like this, okay? So that's what we're gonna look at. Okay, we're in chapter 11 this morning, and I'm going to invite you to stand. As we read, as I read, I'll I'll read it. You guys can read along, too, if you like. Um, This is chapter 11 of Acts, verse 19 through 26. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. To look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. So, Luke's story that we're looking at this summer, which we call the book of Acts, it has it's the story spreads across about a thousand verses, okay? These eight verses that I just read are incredibly significant because they, they function as a narrative hinge for the whole story. Okay? Now, leave it to the guest preacher to make a case that the passage he was assigned to is the most important one <laughs> in the whole series. <laughs> no. This, these eight verses serve as a narrative hinge, okay? If you take these eight verses out of the story and you are an attentive reader, as you read through the book of Acts, you're going to end the book and you're going to have some key unanswered questions, okay? So these verses are, are very important. And to understand the significance of this narrative hinge, what we're going to do is we're going to pan out for a moment and we're going to look at the whole door And the trajectory of its swing on these hinges, okay? So as you remember, if you can remember, um, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus made a promise to his disciples. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so here's, here's a little map I've got to show you what Jesus is saying. I have the worst geography. I lived in uh, Massachusetts for four years, and I still had no idea where I was. Like, I had no idea which direction New York was, Vermont, all the little states out there. And so this is just to kind of help you out a little bit. Okay, so here's Jerusalem, this little red dot. There are going to be witnesses there. And then Jesus says, and then you're going to be witnesses to the surrounding areas, which is Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Here, this is the, the, the known ends of the earth, and just imagine this circle pressing out, okay, to even lands that weren't even known at that time. Okay, so something really interesting. Jesus, there is a great commission. Jesus, there's a commandment in here, but look at how Jesus says it. This is a promise. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This wasn't Jesus saying, like, you will clean your room, right? Like, where it's like a, there's a, it's like, is that, you're making a promise? Is this a command? No, that's not what Jesus was doing. He is making a promise. He is speaking purpose over the disciples. Shortly after Jesus' promise, the church in Jerusalem begins to grow, okay, at an astounding rate. It grows in breadth. So, In one afternoon, the church goes from 120 to 3,000 people, if you remember. It's growing at an astounding rate in depth. When we read those verses in Acts 2.42 in chapter 4, where it talks about everyone was meeting in homes with glad hearts and sharing everything they had, we read those, those descriptions of community longingly, right? Because it's such a beautiful expression of community. This was what was happening in the days that followed Jesus' promise, we, we would consider what, what would have been formed in Jerusalem to be uh, a megachurch. Well, that's what we would call it today. Wow, there's this megachurch in Jerusalem. But not only was it a megachurch, but if we, if we, you know, in context of Jesus' promise, what we saw was a community forming that would serve as a launch pad to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay, there was no need to go, let's go build a launch pad over here. It's like, are you kidding? We're in the best spot, Jerusalem. We're in Jerusalem, surrounding areas, ends of the earth. Okay, but then something happens. Out of nowhere, the church is blindsided by having one, one of its, its, its members murdered out in the streets. This is Stephen is murdered by Saul under, underneath Saul's direction. And a great persecution started. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, get this. Let's pull it up. And Saul approved of their killing him. Talking about Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And all except the apostles were scattered. Okay, if you've read Luke and Acts, you get the impression Luke was a details guy. He's not the kind of guy who comes and says, hey, everyone is is giving us this feedback. And you dig in, you realize, no, it's really only two loud people. And the other other 1,000 people are are happy with the way things are. Okay, Luke was a details guy. Now, he had to have had a little bit of exaggeration here. But he says, all. Do you remember the the megachurch? At least 3,000 people. All the people were scattered, leaving the apostles. Now, just pause. Think about that. So Obviously, you know, we're still talking about COVID, right? There are, a lot of, there are a lot of numbers out there saying a lot of smart people with the statistics of how many people left the church during COVID and they never made it back. You know, there's statistics about the empty seats in churches. Okay, of all the numbers I've heard, I haven't heard anyone saying 100% of people didn't come back. Right? But still, it's been a challenge for churches across America. All people scattered. That's intense. We're talking about thousands of men and women with children running for their lives. Running for their lives. So for this mega church in Jerusalem, this launch pad for the fulfillment of you'll be my wit- the promise of you will be my witness in, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Boom, gone. It is dead. You've got the apostles. That's all you have left. And can you imagine Peter and the apostles looking at at what's happening and saying, oh God, please not again. Just a few years earlier, the apostles had experienced another scattering, another death, right? Jesus, their champion, their Messiah, the one that they had cashed out and put all their, you know, they had put all their chips, their business, their family, their life, they put it all on Jesus and Jesus died. And they were scattered. The disciples were scattered. Okay, now we know that Jesus came back to life. Hallelujah. He he restored them to faith. They weren't stuck. The, the, the apostles were not stuck in that trauma. But guys, our neurons have a way of remembering things. Okay? You can be moved on from a traumatic experience, and something happens that triggers you, and all of a sudden, all those emotions, you're back in that situation. Right? Can you imagine what Peter and his, the, the apostles might have been experiencing as... There's death and there's scattering. What were the questions that they were asking? These, these guys are humans, by the way, okay? They were like me and you. They were probably experiencing some disappointment. They were probably like, here we are, get out. What, how are we going to recover from this? Did we misinterpret what Jesus said? Did we miss something? Was Jesus wrong? Where is Jesus, by the way? What is he doing in heaven? You know, when when Jesus was with us, he protected us from stuff like this. Like we didn't get beat up in the streets like is Jesus, is he not going to protect us anymore? Stephen just died and everyone is running for their lives. So what happens next? Let's look back at our, our, our verse. Um, Chapter 11, 19 through 21. I'm going to read it it again, this part. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So here's a map. Again, I like maps. Here's a map. This is the, kind of the major groups of scattering. Here's Jerusalem. Some went to Cyprus. Let's go get on an island. Maybe they won't find us here. A bunch of people ran to this area, which is Phoenicia. And then some people made it all the way up here to this town called Antioch, okay, running for their lives. It says that a, in this passage that a few nameless individuals who were running for their lives found themselves in a city called Antioch, which was located... You could say where the beginnings of the ends of the earth was. Okay. At this point, what later would become referred to as Christianity, it was a Jewish sect. It was a Jewish, Jewish religion, as it were. Okay, But for some reason, maybe they had heard the story about Peter and the Gentiles and Cornelius that, that Lindsay spoke on last week. Maybe they heard that story and they were inspired. Hey, let's, let's share with these Gentiles. But they share with a few Gentiles in Antioch. And, and boom, the Gentiles respond. God releases his power and a church is born. But not only a church, but if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see that a launch pad Community was formed from which the church would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is where Paul, Barnabas, did their, their missionary journeys and went into Rome and and um, what was the ends of the earth at that time. So this is what I think we need to see. This is what I want us to see this morning. This is, this is the most important thing that I believe if we don't get it, there's just... Too much at stake, okay? Jesus turned their setback into a jetpack that propelled the church higher up and further in to his promise, the fulfillment of his promises and his purposes, okay? And this summer, we're learning about how the Spirit of God works in and through us to advance His kingdom. And this is one of those ways. What Jesus did here was not a one-off. It was not a Hail Mary. Jesus like, oh, man, I didn't see this happen. Let's... And then it just so happens they catch the ball in Antioch. It's like, praise God, that was, you know, no! This is what Jesus does. This is what God does. We, it's his, one of his specialties. It's what we see all throughout the Bible. We see it in Abraham's life. We see it in Mo, uh, Joseph's life, Moses' life, David's life. We see it in Jesus' life. Did God turn the setback of Jesus being killed into a jetpack or what? This is what he does in my life. This is what he does in your life. Jesus can turn setbacks into jetpacks. Now, if this were just, you know, if this were a pep rally before the game and my job was just to kind of spread some positivity in the room and get you feeling a little bit better so that, you know, you can make it to next Sunday, then I would probably stop here. I would stop my message. The problem is this is not the point where God wraps it up. This is not where God wraps up the message. And so there's something else I want to make sure is clear that we understand. So there's a very popular Bible verse that you guys know. It's Romans 8, 28. And you can find its words emblazoned on throw pillows and coffee mugs. You might, some of you might know what it is, but I'm talking about all things work together for good. That's just, that's just, I just want to take a nap on that pillow. You know, it's just so nice and a cozy thought to be thinking of as I go to sleep. Um, Now, that's a wonderful, it's a wonderful promise, but there's a little problem that's not all that the verse says. Okay, here's what the verse says, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, the rest of the verse, the verse in, in entirety, it tells me that there are two conditions when it comes to working all things for good. The most important condition, praise God, is met by him. He calls us according to his purpose. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Praise God. He calls us for his purpose. The second condition is met by me. It's met by you. Those who love him. We have a part to play in the transformation of our setbacks into jetbacks that propel us higher up and further into God's purposes. And in our, in our part, our end of the partnership is can, you know, uh, that's a pretty good summary. Those who love Him, we just say that's, the, that's what our part is. It's to love Jesus, it's to keep loving Him. And so, what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean to love Him? In the lives of the early church, of the story that we're looking at, we see that it looked like continuing to follow Jesus despite the devastating setback and continuing to do what he had called them to do. So it says here in uh, verse 20 that it says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Okay. These are men and women who have run for their lives. Okay. Okay. In the midst of kids, you know, teenage kids grieving about, I miss my friends. You know, I I, I missed the life that we had in Jerusalem. Maybe, you know, kids growing up, you know, younger kids waking up in the middle of the night with nightmares. Like, I'm just, I keep having this dream that something's gonna happen to daddy, something's gonna happen to mommy. Um, relationships that were left behind. I mean, just very real things that they were experiencing. There was a lot of debris from the this setback, from this this uh, uh, explosion that took place in Jerusalem. But it says that they were still telling people about the good news. The news was still good news to these people. After all they had experienced, it was still good news. It wasn't. Let me tell you, this thing sucks. We started following Jesus. Do you know what happened next? We're running for our lives. No, it was still good news. Not only was it good news in their hearts, but it's like, man, this is great news. I've got to find people to tell, tell about this. It was still good news, and it was still from a good God. Now, that is a sign to me that some incredible hard work had been done In that journey from Jerusalem to Antioch, to be able to say, this is still good news. So this is what loving Jesus looked like in their lives. For me, in in my story, it, it looked like, loving Jesus looked like me running to him in my pain and confusion, not running from him. Running to community, Christian community, running to him in Christian community, not away from it. It was, it looked like me fighting tooth and nail in my heart to keep believing that he is still good. He is still good. Still obeying him, doing what he'd called me to do and believing what he'd called me to believe. And I'm not saying it's easy, okay? I'm not saying if you would have, you know, if you would have seen me after, you know, that, the bottom of the box fell out. I, I was not this raging fire for Jesus. I was more like a campfire the next morning. Where you're like, you're out there and you're like, yeah, that thing is done. And then you poke it with a stick and you're like, whoa, there's some little coals that are still burning under there. Who would have who thunk it? Right? That was me. Just buried under a heap of ashes. But just just a little ember still fighting That's what loving Jesus looked like for me, okay? Like I said, I couldn't even tie my shoes, but what I could do in that season, I don't know why, but what I could do is I could just sing my prayers to Jesus. I just sang. I just would, for hours a day, and that's because I was only working part-time. I didn't have to pay rent because I was living... You know, it's not like, oh, Clark, man, he worked 16 hours a day. He would come home and spend hours. With the Lord's like, no, I worked four hours a day. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. And, but I spent that time just singing, pouring my heart out to Jesus. Like, this is horrible, Lord. What happened? That's all I could do. So after a year of of sitting in the ash heap, I was propelled into a 16-year season of vocational ministry that was more wonderful than I could have imagined before the setback. And that's a story for another time. (laughs) You have to wait for the sequel. Okay, but here's what I want you to hear. Jesus can turn setbacks into jetpacks. Okay? The loss... Of a loved one, serious illness, the betrayal of the person you needed to stay faithful more than anyone. Okay? A major life plan falls through. Are you holding an unfulfilled promise in your hand this morning? Do you feel that there are a million miles between you and the purpose you had once sensed that God had for you? Do you feel like you've been knocked clearly off the map and there's no chance of figuring out how to get back on? Our response in these moments is so crucial, guys. There is so much at stake, and if we do not figure out how to respond like this scattered nameless group of believers in Acts 11 who kept loving Jesus and following him despite being blindsided in Jerusalem. There's, there's a lot at stake. If, if, if we don't run to him in our pain, if we don't run to community, if we don't fight within our hearts to hold on to the belief that he is still good no matter what happened, or happens, despite how confusing, if we don't continue obeying, doing what we know He's called us to do, believing what we know He's called us to believe, if we don't do these things, we are going to come, I, you, we will come to the wrong conclusion about God. We will create in our minds an image of a God who's not worthy of our love, who's not worthy to be trusted. It will be an unlovely God. And what we will do is we will give our love to someone else, to something else, maybe to my own self-protection. Because here's the deal. Our hearts were created to love, and so not loving, that's not an option. You may think you're not loving anything and not getting attached, but it's just self-deception. You will Find someone, something to love and to trust. And guys, if it's not Jesus, it will end up destroying you. That's heavy, but I'm telling you the truth. It will end up destroying you. Jesus is the only one worthy of your love because he is the only one who can be trusted with your heart. The reason he says, give me all, is because he loves you. And he knows that he is the only one who can be trusted with your all. The only one who can protect it and nurture it and and bring it forth to be the glorious thing that that his father created it to be. Jesus can turn setbacks into jetpacks. And the way I want to end this morning is I'd like for us to pray this, a prayer of surrender together. Okay? If you've recently experienced a major setback in your life, or if you've experienced one a while back, but you're still kind of reeling from it, I want you to pray, I want to invite you to pray this prayer from that place of pain, okay? If you've never prayed a prayer of surrender to Jesus in your life, I want to invite you to pray this prayer, okay? And for the rest of us, regardless of where your heart is this morning, just, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. So I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to just kind of take two deep breaths, just kind of still our bodies. This always helps me. Just, just take two, a couple deep breaths. Thank you, Lord. So in this prayer, we are saying, Jesus, we choose to run to you. We choose to believe that you're good, and we entrust the whole of our lives into your care. Would you pray this with me? Oh, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything.